As a young teenager in the summer of 1970, in June of 1970, I had an experience with the Holy Spirit at the altar of the church as we were preparing for our youth mission trip. And the Holy Spirit fell upon me in a, a mighty way with spiritual and physical manifestations. And that began about a four to six to eight week process in which I felt the call of the Lord God into the pastorate. And so from that time as a 16-year-old, I had my vision set of what I was going to do. I was never one of those teenagers that wondered what I was going to do when I grew up. I knew what it was. And my life continued on that way. And I knew that I would go to college, get get an undergraduate degree, go to seminary and get a graduate degree and, and begin what I thought would be a lifelong mission of uh, sharing the gospel and pastoring and preaching because some various decisions and things that changed in in 2000 when it was time for me to retire and, and find another place to be involved in ministry. So for 20 plus years on a Sunday morning, I was as Zach is most of the time standing up here and most of my week was in preparing the message and preparing the word that I felt God was leading me to share with his people and my brothers and sisters. It's a little nervousness. People have asked me, hey, how are you feeling? I said, well, I'm, 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 I'm kind of nervous because it's been over 10 years since I have done what I have been asked to do today. Probably about 12 years. And I've heard muscle memory to this morning. Oh, muscle memory will kick back in. Oh, it's like riding a bicycle. And, you know, you'll be able to do it. So uh, I do pray that you would understand that in many ways I am probably a bit, a bit rusty. When Zach emailed me back in the spring and I saw the title of trusting the process, that's just not a phrase that I feel very good about as I thought about it. Trust the process. To me, trusting the process is is my boss or someone in charge of what I'm involved with and, and, and making decisions and we look at the results of those decisions and things don't seem to be turning out very well. And they said, it's just a process, just relax, hold on there. And most of the time when a human being tells me to trust the process, I really think that they're saying what Doc is saying to Marty. It says, hey, trust me, I really don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) That's kind of the way I went into this message. So one of the first things I had to do was make good sense out of the title if I was going to to be able to deliver any, any good word. And God is faithful in that. I have two friends. I've, I've known them for 30 years. They're, they're either early, late preteens or early teens. And their name's Jim Bob and Dwayne. And Jim Bob is uh, sort of the ringleader of their relationship. They're the same age. They, they live in the country. They live across the, the dirt road from each other. Their families are... Farmers, they work together, they play together, they eat together, they do all sorts of things together. And, and Jim Bob is the guy that is the instigator. He is the one that is always 
pushing the envelope. And Dwayne is sort of the guy that just sits back and appeases Jim Bob and goes along with Jim Bob and is completely fine with that. So it was early November and the first winter snow had come. The fields were glistening and pristine and sparkling with no evidence of anybody ever been on the snow yet. Jim Bob got up and he says, all right, this is a, this is a wonderful day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up Dwayne today. And that's about what he tried to do every morning, every day. So Jim Bob got his winter clothes on, went across the street, knocked on the door. Dwayne came out and Jim Bob says, I got an idea, Dwayne. Let's go out into the field across the way and the snow is fresh. We can see exactly where we walk. Let's get across the other side of the field of the, the corner fence post and let's see who can walk the straightest line to the corner post. Dwayne really didn't want to do it, but Dwayne wanted to be with Jim Bob and Jim Bob wanted to be with Dwayne. So after a little bit of trying to talk Jim Bob out of it, Dwayne consented and they went out there and they got to where Jim Bob set him up and says, you see the corner post, Dwayne? Yes, let's see who can walk the straightest line. So Jim Bob said, go. All Dwayne did was take a look at the post and take off because he didn't care whether he won or whether he lost. That's not who Dwayne really is. Now, the Jim Bob was totally different. He had to win the contest. So what Jim Bob did is he looked down and he made sure he put each foot right in front of the other foot. It took Jim Bob three times the amount of time to get to the post than it did Dwayne. And then when Jim Bob finally got there, he turned and to his horror, his face fell into a frown. Because Dwayne's path was as straight as an arrow and Jim Bob's was as serpentine as it could be. Why? We can trust the process. The reason we can trust the process is because we can trust the promises. And the reason that we can trust the promises is that we can trust the promise keeper. So we can see the character of the promise keeper in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. The Lord gave me a word for me in the spring to, for me to focus in upon the greatness, the majesty, and the glory of God. One of the first things I did is emailed the young guns of the church. I emailed uh, Zach and emailed Jeremy and said, hey, what are some books? Because I hadn't spent a lot of time looking at authors, particularly recent ones, that focus in on the majesty and the glory of God. And they gave me several of them. And it has been a wonderful couple of months as I have been reading and doing that. But one of them, and the School of Transformation people know this one quite well, is a book by the uh, title, God Has a Name. And it's really based upon Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And what I found interesting as I went through this book and began to it, I've been in this business, I've been in the church for, for many years. And I've heard people talk about, show me your glory in Exodus 33. 
And I've heard people talk to me about the, the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6. But I hadn't spent much time in hearing people talk about the fact that in Exodus 34, God reveals himself when he says, Then the Lord passed in front of Moses and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Um, forgive, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sins. Yet he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on their grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations. We can trust the process because God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and full of loving kindness, abounding in loving kindness and in truth. Also, we begin to see the ending of what God does in Revelation 21 and 22. What God is about doing is reversing the curses that come our way because of our disobedience in Genesis chapter 3 and reversing those curses and turning them back into the blessings that he had originally meant. So in Revelation 21, we read, And he who sits on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, wait, for these words are faithful and true. And then in Revelation 22, 3, he says, there will no longer be any curse. So what God is about is reversing the curse that has come our way through disobedience and to replace it with the blessing that he had intended. These curses God begins to uh, change, the curses that he pronounced. He, we see him beginning his active work in returning the blessing to us in Genesis chapter 12, in verses 2 and 3, when God calls Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And you and I are part of that last part. We have been blessed through the work that God has begun in Abraham. And the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families will be blessed. This goes throughout all of scripture in Psalm 30, verse 11. Psalm 30, I'd encourage you to read it this week. It talks about all of the reversals in David's life. But he says, the, David declares in verse 11 to, to Yahweh, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing and you have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. The great reversal, the great reversal is what God is all about. Now, all of that is sort of a, a preamble. And so let's get to the text and, and let's see what it has there. We have a chart for the text uh, that gives it to us. The text begins with a, a small beginning uh, of an introduction 
and then there are four blessings and four curses. I don't know. I can't read that one, so I'm going to turn around and read this one. That one's a little bit too small. And turning his grace towards his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then the woe that goes with it, which is later in the text. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. But woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. But woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Woe to you when men speak well of you. Be glad in the day and leap for joy and behold, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. It's always a reversal in this. A changing in the, in the left side of a curse into a blessing. Many people will say that, that, that Luke's representation here is actually the same as the Sermon on the Mount. I, I don't believe that. I believe it is separate. There's enough differences in it. Any good teacher knows that you're going to say things more than once and you're going to say them in different settings. It is not hard for me to imagine that these same truths Jesus might have said monthly or quarterly. He said them many times. He said them many times because repetition is really the basis for education. I know that I need to hear the same things over and over and over again. And in each one of these, they're a little bit different because the circumstances are different. So I think this is just a simple part of the learning cycle. They may sound familiar, and they are, but the same, I don't believe so. And, and I heard Joe mention it at the beginning that I don't believe that this is Luke's recitation of the Sermon on the Mount but this rather is the teaching that Jesus gave in the plain after he called his 12 disciples. Before we really get into the text, I want to look at several words from the Hebrew text. In the Hebrew text, there are two words that are used for bless, blessing, or uh, blessed. And, and it depends upon the situation. The first one is Barak, depending upon the, the prefixes and the suffixes and the vowels and the vocalization. This could be a verb, it could be a noun, it could be present tense, past tense, future tense, possessive, and all of those things. This word first appears in Genesis chapter 1. It first appears in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 5, then God said, let the waters teem with the swarms of the living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth and the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind and God that saw that it was good. And now we have for the first time the word Barak 
in the Hebrew text. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And then just a little bit later, we see in the same chapter, in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And he made them male and female and he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's God's intent. That's God's promise. And God's promise is not simply a promise in the way that you and I make promises. When God says it, it becomes a prophetic word that he will bring about to happen, to occur. There's another way that blessing is used in the Psalms. If we look to Psalm 103, we see the same word, Barak, here. Bless the Lord, or bless Yahweh, O my soul, and all that is in with me. Bless his holy name. And then it lists a, a number of his wonderful benefits that he has given there. Generally, the concept of a blessing is from the greater to the lesser. But here, David, the lesser, is blessing God. How does this make sense? Barak, the word for blessing, really comes from a more basic word called barek. The original Hebrew only consists of vowels. There's no, I mean, consonants. There's no vowels. And so we have a word barak, which means to bless. But then there is the word barek. Same three letters in the Hebrew text, but it is pronounced differently and it means to kneel. And the concept is, is that the beauty of how these two words relate is that the barek, one must kneel in order to receive the barak, the blessing of God. That to receive the blessing of God, we must humble ourselves and kneel before the Lord God. As I read this and understood this, I thought of the king knighting a person and the person when they are knighted is kneeling before the one who is extending the blessing. I thought of the beauty of the Magi in Matthew as they came and worshiped and presented their gifts and blessed the baby Jesus of kneeling before him and giving them their gifts. If we want to experience the blessings of God, we must go low. We must go low. We must humble ourselves before the Lord God Almighty. The third Hebrew I want to look at is the word Esher. We see that word in Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners. That's a different word, Esher. It's a different word. It is a more poetic word. 
It is a word that really relates to us as being blessed, as being an interjection. An interjection is a part of speech to, to call our attention to, to make us notice something and to stand out. I've heard lots of interjections today. Yes, hallelujah. Just these statements that come out in simple words, they're often adjectives that tell us stop and pay attention. Something is going on. You need to make sure. Hmm, that's an interjection. Um is an interjection. Uh is an interjection. And so this psalm begins with an interjection saying, Blessed, Escher, a new word that says, Pay attention to what is about to be said because this person is blessed. This, is, this word is most, most prevalent in the Psalms and the Proverbs, but it occurs everywhere else. Escher relates to the happy, joyful, fortunate state of the person or object that has received a blessing, a barak from God. The person or object does not earn it, but rather humbly receives the blessing. And God changes the state or fortune of the person or object, reversing the curse and granting a blessing. Got an interjection there. Yay. Now, the New Testament uses two words also. The first one is the word eu legeo. If you're up to your prefixes, you should be able to recognize the prefix eu, which means good. One of the ways we see this is in the word eulogy. This is actually the word eulogy is a transliteration for this. For it is basically saying the eulogy is a good word that a person says over some, during someone's memorial service. This is the word that Elizabeth used and she cried out when she met Mary. And Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed, elegu, I can't even say it now. Anyway, elegeo, are you among women? And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Elizabeth, she cried out and saw that. The second Greek word is in an adjective, adject, adject, ah, see, getting all tongue-tied. Adjective. Marcurius. This is the word that's used in this text. Luke uses it in the Magnificent. Luke says in verse 1, Mary says, For the Lord has regard for the humble state of his bond slave, and behold, from all generations... I will be called blessed. Skip on down a little bit and talk about the woes. Proverbs 23, 29 talks to us a little bit about the woes. Woe, who has woe and who has sorrow? Isaiah 3, 11, woe to the wicked for it will go badly. For what he deserves will be done to him. And a warning. As we get to this text, Jesus has previously 
taught in the synagogues and he has, he has had battles with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But in this situation, he has begun to speak to his disciples and to give them an understanding of exactly what is going to happen. Let's turn on forward, guys. I'm moving up a little bit because of the time that we have. That's the problem when you're not used to this. You don't know how much time you're taking in preparing all of this stuff. So let's run forward down to Luke 4, 18, or, or Psalm 113, 7 through 8. Who is like the Lord our God, who is enthroned on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and on earth, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princesses and the princes of his people. God is talking about making the poor rich. And that's a promise that we have. But there's also a corresponding woe to this. And our Jesus also talks about this in the beautiful kingdom that I believe Zach talked about. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's the work and the ministry of our God is to lift the poor. But yet in Revelation 2, 8 and 9, we see, And to the angel of the church at Smyrna write, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty. But Jesus says to them, But you are poor. I mean, you are rich. But unfortunately, if you get to the last letter, we begin to see in Revelation 3.17 as he speaks to the church at Laodicea because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. We need to stop and think about the fact that Jesus is telling us in these words of the kingdom the nature of the kingdom of God. I'm going to skip the second one and briefly look at the third one, which, which basically says, Blessed are you who weep now, and you shall laugh, and woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn, and you shall weep. I want to talk a little bit about the word grumbling. We have a word for grumbling in the text. This word is actually used not as grumbling in the book of Genesis, but when you get to the book of Exodus and Numbers, it is used for grumbling. And uh, it is Luan, and it means originally to lodge, to stop over, to stop for the night. So in Genesis, it might say that Abraham came to Bethel and he lodged, he camped. That's the way this word is always used in the book of Genesis, is he went and he stayed somewhere. He abided a place. He remained somewhere. But for many Hebrew words that express emotion, they're based on an actual objective event in the person's life. So in Exodus and Numbers, grumbling and complaining is the act of repeating the negative with no effort 
or desire to move forward for a better state, but rather choosing to stay, to lodge with, to abide in the grumbling and complaint. And the source of our grumbling is our will. I think I have this up here. Slide, mourning and weeping is something very different. The Hebrew for mourning and weeping really comes from the word to drip. The Hebrew word to drip is that it drips our tears, drip from our eyes and off of our faces. And Jesus, ultimately the tears come from a person's heart, not a will. Tears come from the heart not the will. So Jesus proclaims those who cry out to God from the heart are in a place of God's favor. Listen to this. Jesus proclaims that those who cry out to God from the heart are in a place of God's favor regardless of the earthly circumstances. The gracious and compassionate Yahweh will replace the curse of weeping with the blessing of laughter. Psalm 56, 8. You have taken account of my wondering, speaking to Yahweh. You have put your tears, my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? He both saves and records our tears. I'm afraid some of us might not have had enough tears to fill up a bottle. Those who are going to be most blessed are those that have filled up a tanker truck or bigger. And then ultimately, I want to move to the, the last part of Psalms 126, the last few verses. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing sheaves with him. I want to read this quote and, and look at it. So guys, I'll put in a, a word for a, a, a book. I know it's got a picture of a, a robin egg on the front of it. It's nice and baby blue and speckled and, and kind of feminine looking, but it's probably one of the most significant books I have read in my life and one of the deepest theology books that I have read in my life, even though it's not a theology book, wonderful theology and probably one of the best discussions of the Eucharist I have ever read. And Voskamp writes in 1,000 Gifts. Lament is a cry of belief in a good God. A God who has his ear to our hearts. A God who transfigures the ugly into beauty. Complaint is the bitter howl of unbelief and a benevolent, is unbelief in any benevolent God in this moment. A distrust in the love beat of the Father's heart. God's anger kindles hot when the essence of the complaint implies doubt in his love. And I rub my forehead and shake my head. Lament is the long learning, learning hard, it's hard for me to read, the hard Eucharist, like Eucharistio. And this I know like I am to know my name 
and full of grace. The more I learn Eucharistio, giving thanks, the more I learn his love and less likely I am to be an Israelite to complain and the more genuinely lament, complaint that trusts his heart. You know, guys, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perspective. As I thought about this, I remembered a show that I saw maybe five, six, eight, ten years ago, and I've got a clip from it, and it's Soul Surfer. It was a show about a young Christian girl from Hawaii that had an, a, a, a horrific accident as she was surfing and was attacked by a shark and lost an arm. Have we got that video? Can we play that? I know I've skipped way ahead here and trying to get through. Let's just play this for a second. Let's finish up Brad Knight with a game. Can anyone tell me what he or she thinks this is? Easy. It's a dodgeball. No. Or Mars? Mm-mm. Uh, blob and a lava lamp? <laughs> Very creative, but no. It's a fly's eye. Weird. How about this one? A brain. Aren't brains supposed to be pink? A dead, rotting brain? That is gross, and that is a walnut. So you see how hard it can be to make sense of things when you're looking at them really close? The same thing's true in life. So if you guys are dealing with anything that's just too hard to handle or doesn't seem to make much sense, get a new perspective. I want to share with you guys something that has really made an impact in my life. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. How do we have the right perspective? I want to suggest a few things. In order to have a right perspective, to trust the process, we need a commitment to community. Because there are times when I need help believing and there are times when I need somebody to weep with and that I need somebody to laugh with. I can't do it without community. I need to have a healthy relationship with Scripture. I need to develop or maintain a lifestyle of praise. And there are many other disciplines, but those were the three. But the other thing we've got to do, if we want to walk straight through the tears and straight through the poverty and straight through the bad accusations is we've got to keep our eyes fixed on the corner post when we walk. Because if I look down and I look at my circumstances, my path is going to be a serpentine path. And who is the fence post? Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. We are encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, not the joy of the present, but the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God so that 
For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that we may not grow weary or lose heart. Jesus is on the cross, is our corner fence post that enables us to walk shape, to walk straight. The greatest reversal of any curse into a blessing that has ever occurred occurred over a period of three days. From the time of the day of Passover to the day of the first fruits, from the day of the crucifixion to the day of the resurrection. That's why we can trust the process. That's why we can trust the promises because that is our promise keeper. I want to close with just these two verses because it's not really about me and it's not really about you. Even these promises are not really about me and you, although we are the benefit of those promises, of those prophetic statements. But what they're really about is the majesty and glory of God. So I close with this wonderful benediction of Paul's as he closes the first section of Romans. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever for his blessings. Let those who have ears to hear what the Spirit says, let them hear.